Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have uh, Roger Finke. He's a distinguished professor of sociology and international affairs. He's also the co-director for the Association of Religious Data Archives. And that website is the, T-H-E, Arda, A-R-D-A dot com. We talk about uh, the relationship that religion has with the state in which someone is located. So, Roger, thank you for coming. Glad to be here. And uh, just a quick thing for listeners, when I say state, I don't mean the state, like in which state of the United States. I mean the state, meaning the, the government in which someone is uh, living under. So clarification. But Roger, thank you for coming. Um, if you would tell me a bit about your background and then about the work that you're doing today. Last 20 years or so, I've been working in the area of, of religion and state relationships and looking at how governments either choose to regulate religions, support religions, or in some cases, persecute religions. And then also looking within those countries, how other social movements beyond the state have an impact on, on religious minorities and ma- religious majority groups and just overall relationships uh, between religion and politics in general. Well, I've seen, you know, different countries persecuting different religions. I mean, you know, what have you seen, I guess, as an overview? Has it been ramping up? Has it been changing the nature of how it works? You know, what does it look like today in 2022 at the end? Right. Over the 20 years that I've been doing this, and really the data collections have gone back farther than that, but there's been a clear increase in overall restrictions placed on, on all religions, but in particular religious minorities. And the... At the very same time, the vast majority of constitutions, about 90% of all constitutions, have some guarantee of religious freedom. At the very time, they're passing laws that deny certain freedoms or place restrictions on religious groups. And probably one of the most frequent ways that states do that is it's not so much the very noticeable persecution where they are imprisoned or followers in, in some way are tortured. The more common way is simply registration requirements that make it very difficult for the religious institutions to exist. How much of this happens in the U.S. versus other countries? Like, what can you say about that? In the U.S., there, since 1990, there was a landmark case, Smith versus Oregon, which really changed how uh, the freedoms granted to religion. And it's been a, a source of controversy ever since. Prior to that time, the state had to have compelling interests as far as to deny someone religious freedom. Smith versus Oregon case, it was ruled that if, if a law is formally neutral and generally applicable, that it could deny such freedoms. And then that's been fought in a series of religious restoration acts on states all across the, the country. But in addition to that, there's been a, a lot of turmoil over how religious freedoms relate to other civil rights, uh, as well as what the relationship, again, between religion and state should be with the, the rise of Christian nationalism recently. I would say also, too, I don't know if you want to comment on this, but, um, you know, the whole COVID situation and getting religious exemptions for, uh, you know, the big V, um, it seems like religion is playing a, a vital, important role there if people want to use that. Um, I don't know if you want to comment on it or not. It's up to you. But. Well, yeah, no, this this is where a lot of court cases are, are, are hitting on right now is 
what is the boundary for religious freedoms? You know, what to what extent can you say this is my religious freedom or this is an inherent part of my life in this religion? And and that's the one that the courts have been struggling with it ever since the founding of the nation. But I think in the last 20 years, it's become even much sharper in divisions, division lines forming. So what, what are you trying to figure out in your study of this interaction between the state and, and people's religions? You know, you, yeah. you look back over history, you're cataloging what's been happening. What right. are some of the questions that come to your mind? Some of the questions are, um, the, the initial questions posed were, what are the reactions to, or, or what are the consequences, if you will, of states either supporting religion or restricting religion? You know, what are the consequences for overall involvement in religion? And one of the more powerful effects we found was that when when there's uh, the states often view that they need to restrict religions or regulate religions in an attempt to sh- reduce social conflict. And what we find is quite the opposite occurs, that overall levels of, of religious persecution, they increase as you have more and more restrictions on different religions, in particular minority religions. So one of the first things we just wondered was, what are the consequences of these restrictions? And what impact do they have on the society as a whole? What impact do they have on the minorities which are being persecuted? So that was one of the initial questions. But we also ask a lot of questions about how does religious freedoms arise? Or how does this support for uh, state support for a, a select religion arise? Because uh, on each extreme, we can see uh, as far as more conflict occurring. When only one religion is supported and supported heavily by the state and all other religions are discriminated against, or when the religion or when the state tries to be completely secular society and tries to pull down all religions, both extremes, you can see more restrictions on the religious minorities. Yeah. What are the dynamics of those two things? So, I mean, I don't know for sure, but from what I've heard in India, there's what's called Hindu nationalism. So Muslims are being persecuted more, it seems like. I don't know about Christians, but what is the difference between what happens in a state that does that versus a state that just says no religion at all? That's it. Everything's going secular. Yeah. Well, I think there's, well, I'll first deal with the, the India question and then with the secular state question. But in India, that offers a perfect example of, of high levels of, of social restrictions, where officially the government tries to be neutral on religion, or at least was before the, the most recent administration. You have a lot of social movements really grounded in religious beliefs that are are very strongly discriminatory against other religions. The tensions against Muslims is the most uh, most visible and probably the most violent. But at the same time, Pentecostal Christians in particular and other uh, minority religions that are very vocal about their faith face an extreme amount of persecution from some of the movements that will actually even enter into their worship services, uh, will we'll try to get them arrested or will, will result in some sort of physical persecution against the people. So that's more of an example of where it's not as much the state being the direct driving force as it is social movements within the larger culture. And they do try to influence the state as well. But much of the pressure is coming from from these other social movements, religious movements, side of the state. Does the state set the tone in that case? Or is it these, does it look like it's these individual religions, but it's really the state kind of behind the scenes, like setting the background for it? or, Or what do you think? Yeah, with the most recent administration, that certainly is is the concern. Is and then even before the most recent administration, local authorities would often turn a blind eye to things that are occurring. So, in a couple examples, the local state officials were were transferred when they refused when they wanted to heavily enforce, you know, the protection of certain religious minorities. 
because uh, they prefer they would turn a blind eye to some of these things that are occurring. So it is something that's certainly driven by social movements, but quite often the state does turn a blind eye to some of the things occurring. And your other okay. question on the secular state, there are really yes. two different types of, uh, or it's often divided into at least two different types of secular states. The one state which tries to take religion out of the public arena, if you will, to rise to reduce religion's role. So it's very great. It's greatly limited in, in terms of what its institutions can do, to what extent it can be included in conversations politically, in schools and a variety of other areas that way. But there's others that try to have a secular state, which has no interference by religion. But at the same time, they try to have a high level of prote- protection for the religious groups in the state. So there's very different forms of secular states. Some, it's simply a separation of religion and state, but it's still a strong enforcement of trying to protect religious freedoms. In others, it's one where it's really an effort to push religion out of the public arena and push religious institutions, greatly limit their activities, which in turn you know, affects overall levels of involvement in religion. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now, back to the show. So what's, uh, what are you working on in particular right now? You, you, know, you have an understanding, obviously, of what's going on, it sounds like, with these different dynamics. But um, are there particular cases or states right now that you're focused on understanding that dynamic? Or what's your, what's your work about today? More of my work now is... is working with global data sets. Jonathan Fox has collected data on from the Religion and State Project. The Pew Research Center has collected uh, indicators by different by countries around the globe. So using some of those data and combining them with other sorts of social conflict, again, to understand as far as the, the relationship it holds for it holds for social conflict or tensions within those countries. Some of the questions that I think still need to be addressed would be, you know, does democracy foster increased religious freedom? You know, for a long time, we uh, sort of assume that it's uh, democracy synonymous with increased freedoms, uh, all sorts of civil civil liberties. There's, uh, you know, we have to look at that closely. You know, for example, does uh, free elections, open and free elections always enforce or improve civil liberties? And there's a lot of questions there because the majority Rule is the very thing that de Tocqueville and many early uh, authors were concerned about, was if you have majority rule, then the majority will do fine and, and find things in agreement with what they want, but the minorities will will face a lot of restrictions. So there's a, a lot of series of questions, that, and I think the relationship between religious freedom and other civil liberties is another interesting question that just starting to address. Religious freedoms are quite different than, even though they're closely overlapped with other civil liberties. There's still a lot of tension between them. Uh, so on the one hand, the freedom like this with the UN, the UN promises of uh, freedom to express your religion, freedom to um, to practice your religion, really overlaps with freedom of speech and freedom of assembly. So on one hand, they're very closely overlapped. But on the other hand, 
you see high levels of tension between religion and some gender roles and gender rights, uh, women's rights. You see some attention certainly between uh, in areas of same-sex marriage uh, and religion. So the whole relationship between civil liberties and religious freedoms is one area of potential tension and an area that I think needs to be better understood as well. So what are some of the big questions that are on your mind that you're trying to figure out at this moment if you're researching your work? Yeah, well, on the one hand, I mean, I'm trying to retire, so, you know. But but at the same time, some of the things that I think need to be addressed more and some of my research that I'll be finishing up will hopefully try to is simply how does uh, the freedom of institutions influence the freedoms of individuals? If you look at uh, the UN, other cases, you see that almost all the rights or the guarantees are for individuals. Most discrimination and most restrictions are placed on the institutions. And in that case, religion is very different than many other civil rights because uh, the people tend to be organized into movements and in, in local institutions, whether they congregations of some sort. So understanding the relationship between how states treat those institutions and their individual freedoms is, I think, uh, an interesting and important question. And that's also an interesting one for trying to understand the social conflict, which might occur from from changes in in levels of of freedom of religion and and how these religions mobilize themselves. What about the uh, decision makers that are in a legislature, you know, in a particular government or the, you know, the governing people too, the, you know, the president, the prime minister, et cetera. If they're not, if they're secular, is there any training for them to let them know, hey, you know, religious type issues will come up and uh, this is the suggestion how you handle them. Or if they're of a faith that is different from the majority or a faith that is different from the one that they're either legislating for or against. Is there any, again, training? Is that even the right word for it? But how can you make decision makers aware of these before they get into power, let's say, um, so that they don't make decisions that, you know, screw people over? Right. Yeah. I'm I'm not aware of any training, to be honest. But uh, I think one of the most basic ones is that there's always a tendency that when there's a, a potential problem is to to regulate it heavily. So if, if uh, uh, and and there's different motivations for why religion should be regulated. Some it's because a legislator is, is a member of a majority religion and they want to regulate against these minorities. A second one is simply that they want freedom from religion and they want to regulate religious minorities in, in all religions. But the it's like so many rights as far as if you recognize that your freedoms are other people's, it results actually in much less tension. And that's one thing that's proven true as far as the extent that these freedoms are practiced more openly. There tends to be less conflict around them to the extent that there's attempts to try to restrict certain religions, regulate them, or uh, provide a lot of support for one religion but not another religion you tend to have much more conflict evolving around religion. So, I mean, the real real basic point is is uh, regulation of these groups is not the answer, and certainly trying to show favoritism towards only one religion is not the answer. Really trying to open it up for uh, for all religions, so it's a, a neutral playing ground, if you will, um, that, that tends to reduce the tensions. Any examples of um, this process done right? I'm sure this process done wrong is probably easy to find, too, but maybe one of each. Yeah, yeah. Boy, I mean, I think if you take, uh, you know, the early United States is one that really surprised all sorts of places. Our European colleagues, when they would visit, such as de Tocqueville in the early 19th century, he was amazed at how all of these religions could live peacefully because the right of one was also the right of the other one. 
And um, so that was something where, and he also felt that it was even essential for the democracy. There was this common respect for each other in that area. So, I mean, I think that was an example of where it really took off in, in, in the right direction in the, in the 19th and early 20th century for the U.S. And, and especially with so many immigrants coming in, because now we think of them all as being Christian immigrants. But at the time, Catholic immigrants were viewed as highly dangerous by many Protestant groups. So the fact that they had to respect their rights was, was really took a, uh, it was a major leap of, of faith, I guess you could say. And in terms of where it goes wrong, I think you can, oh boy, there's a, be a lot of tensions, you know, where this has occurred. I mean, obviously in India, you can see where the social restrictions that have gone, uh, have gotten out of hand quite often, you know, because the state has turned a blind eye that certainly has caused a lot of, uh, of open conflict, social conflict. I think, you know, you could take examples. Oh, let me think of a good one here. Even someone, as example where, uh, such as, as, as Russia, this was opened up. You saw this sort of flowering of all these religions because suddenly you had this freedom of religion uh, for all groups. And then you see all of a sudden the clamping down on these groups. And and now there's much more tension surrounding religion in the Soviet Union than there was before when it was actually opening up. But I think there's a, a variety of, of uh, Muslim-majority countries where you could also use examples. Um, examples where it doesn't work well is much longer. Well, when one religion is favored over another, does that lead to a climate where eventually the main one also gets persecuted or sidelined, or does that not happen? Yeah, I think it, it depends on on how its relationship with the state as a whole. You can take again, you can take something like the Soviet Union, where uh, the Orthodox Church is is the church which is receiving favorable rights in many many ways. Yet at the same time, it really has no authority over the state in, at all. So it faces open persecution, such as uh, the priests and bishops that spoke out against the, the Ukrainian war. Many of them have gotten into trouble with the government over their stance, uh, so they don't have the freedom to speak out. So, yeah. No, I just wonder, again, you know how there's that old saying, they came for XYZ and I wasn't XYZ, so I didn't do anything. And then they came for ABC and eventually they came for me and no one was left to defend me. Um, <laughs> I wonder if that happens with with this kind of policy, like once it gets in place and a, let's say a religious minority starts being persecuted and marginalized, does that seem to inevitably lead to all of them going that way? Well, I think, yes, no, I think it's an important point is um, quite often when you, when any minority, but especially when talk about religious minorities now, initially when they're persecuted against, it seems far removed from most, from most other religious groups. It seems far removed from most other social groups. However, to the extent that the policies that are implemented against that religious group will also in the long run have an effect on other religious groups too. And, and as I mentioned before, even some of the civil rights for religious groups or institutions overlap with the, the civil rights for other institutions, social institutions, such as the, you know, the freedom to assemble, the freedom of speech, uh, freedom to believe. So, so yeah, once certain discrimination or regulation restrictions start being placed on one group, it often almost always has an impact on uh, other groups around it. Uh, and you, you also see this when there is one group which is provokes violence. So, for example, when there was the drop the name of the group, but uh, the solar it was a cult in in France uh, as far as in the 1990s. And when they committed suicide, it was a mass suicide group. And all of a sudden it, it resulted in uh, 
they anyway where there was a, this mass then all of a sudden you see restrictions arising on many other groups suddenly the guest commission the commission you know was assembled to address it found 173 dangerous sects and cults which included hasidic jews baptists mormons jehovah witnesses quakers a whole long line of group that had nothing to do with this cult but as far as when the restrictions are placed on one suddenly it's simply out and, and reaches has a far far-reaching effect have you seen any efforts that um I mean, how do, how do these things stop? How do these things reverse? You know, if you have a country that, again, suppresses religion or persecutes certain groups, when does it end? How does it end? You know, what, are, what could we learn from when it's reversed course and gotten better? Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think of some quick examples on that. Oh, hopefully there are some. No, I'm sure there are some. But <laughs> I'm sure there are some, too. Yeah, no, I think... Um, you know, clearly when, when legislation is passed as far as, you know, trying to open up to reduce the restrictions between, it's often ethnicity and religion overlap. And so when that is trying to, when there's attempts to try to reduce that and, and increase the freedoms of both sides, that, that certainly tends to reduce the conflict between the two. And certainly there have been examples. I'm drawing a shortage right now, but uh, certainly there have been, a, well, I even take the, the Russian example I gave before. When it first occurred and there was an opening up of these religious groups, there was much less tension between many of the religious groups and even uh, between some of the local institutions when there were greater freedoms for all the groups. Um, so I, I, even that was a very short-lived example of, of how it did open up very quickly. Um, I don't know. Is there a particular legislation that you've seen examples of that really was good for you know, allowing religious groups to flourish and not be persecuted? Is there any good examples of legislation, again, that can be pointed out to another country that's going down the wrong road or you know, area? I think one of the most common ones is, would be um, uh, registration requirements. Um, many states now, our countries will have restrictions on who can register as a religion. And if you're not registered, you quite often can't have bank accounts, own property. There's a whole level of, of, of restrictions you, that you might have if you can't register. But those registration requirements can be anything from you must exist for 15 years or you must have a certain size following, you know, must believe certain things or you must uh, be willing to teach pro-communist classes to such as in China, you know. So there's a long list of different things that way. So I think one of the things that, that really benefits all the groups is when there's really just equal ground for all to participate and that the restrictions for them is, is greatly reduced. So I know you're you're going to be retiring somewhat soon, but what do you want, let's say, I don't know, the legacy of the work you're doing to be going forward? How is it going to instruct future people that are studying this to help resolve these conflicts when they arise? Right. Wait, I think we, a couple of ways I, I hope there's a lasting effect is, is one, um, at the Association of Religion Data Archives, the archive I run, uh, we were one of the first to start collecting data in this area. Uh, so we simply document as far as which countries have um, freedom of religion clauses, which countries have high levels of religious conflict, which countries have high levels of state favoritism of religion, and which ones have high levels of religious freedom. So just collecting that data and and continuing to have some sort of data collection area, I think is important uh, is important for the future. Right now, the Religion and State Project in Barlot, Israel is one which continues to collect data in that area. The Pew Research Center in D.C. is another that continues to collect data in that area. I think a, a second area is simply opening up some of the, 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 and by the way, those, those data collections too, a lot of show changes over time and trends over time. And that's where you get to see 
how there's been an increase in some of these um, restrictions on religions or increased requirements on registration. So I think just having those data in place helped to inform uh, the public, governments, others, as far as what's occurring there. The other part that I hope is have influence is simply that um, showing the benefits, of, uh, opening up uh, freedoms for all religions, not simply select religions, or not trying to persecute all religions, such as uh, which is occurs in a few handful of countries right now, but really opening it up for all religions and the benefits it has on reducing persecution and discrimination against those minority religions, but also benefiting all religions that indirectly they are, are benefit, beneficiaries of it as well, too. Yeah, maybe it's a stupid question, but why, are, why do restrictions result in violence against a particular community? Why do you think that is? Yeah, I think... Um, there's a couple of things. I mean, one is in the Christian nationalism case, the case we, we talked about from India, and you certainly see some Christian national or not Christian nationalism, the religious nationalism movement, uh, Hindu nationalism movement you see in India, even in the, the Christian nationalist movement you see in the U.S., um, sometimes they target and are, are very anti certain minority religions. They, they might be religions that to them represent some sort of immigrant or foreign influence. Or it might be simply a religious competitor that they they want to see get rid of. So that often results in in open conflict. Sometimes religions are closely tied to a certain ethnic group. Uh, So you have uh, tensions occurring between different ethnic groups that might have different social classes and also uh, are tied in with religion, which then the two become conflicts result from that as well. And I think a a third one is a growing number of cases, especially in developed countries, is you have uh, a more um, uh, militant secularism, which is trying to um, re- reduce as far as the um, religious groups. And those religious groups then in turn uh, responded in, in some very strong ways. And really, it's gone both ways. Even in India, as an example, there have been the Communist Party, which has been involved in some of the conflicts as well, too. So there's there's a whole lot of reasons that, as far as that this and what gets involved this way. And again, to remember, religion is often organized around institutions, and those institutions uh, can often effectively mobilize people in very good ways or in, in negative ways. And and that's something that, that you always need to be aware of. Okay. Well, very good. Uh, Roger, what's the best way for people to find out more about your work and to, you know, to maybe query the data or see the data that you've collected? Where can they go? Yeah, as far as looking at the data, if they want to go to thearda.com, so T-H-E-A-R-D-A.com, they can both look at the, the data on, on uh, religious, religion state relationships, but they can also look at trends in overall religion over time by country. And, and there's a, a host of other information they can find out by country as well. So I think that's one of the best ones to do some exploration by themselves on this. In terms of, I do have a book, even denied. I have a lot of different research articles, um, which can be easily found as well, too. But I think the price of freedom denied is the one that's probably the easiest to, to get through Amazon or other sources. Oh, you said it's the price of freedom? It's called, yeah, it's called the price of freedom. Denied, and it's with Cambridge University Press. Also, my colleague, Jonathan Fox, is another one who's written many, actually several books in this area. And uh, Dan Philpott from Notre Dame has written some books in this area as well. Okay, well, very good. Well, Roger, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. 
If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.